Tuesday, we got the April WASDE report from USDA, and traders stood back with blank stares trying to figure out exactly what USDA was thinking. The expectation, because of recent events, was that there would be at least some movement in corn, soybeans, and wheat. Argentina's crop reductions, mostly as expected, saw word this week that analysts expect even more reductions in that Argentine crop. The U.S. planting intentions unchanged and probably won't be changed until the May 12th report. We heard on Friday that planters are already rolling in Iowa. More coming up on that with John Cavanaugh and this week's Market by the Numbers. The guys are brought to you by the Allen County Farm Bureau. The Farm Bureau is really busy in D.C. right now, and I'm going to be headed there tomorrow and be there for four days talking to some of the folks about things like Biden's new WOTUS rule and what they're doing in the fight to improve the new farm bill. Where are they going to get the money for that? None of what the Farm Bureau does in D.C. is even remotely possible without your support. When you support your local Farm Bureau, you are supporting those efforts. So go online to at pastebeamember.org. Well, John, it seemed like it took us both about 20 minutes to come to similar reactions to last Tuesday's WASTI report. You know, we didn't expect big changes, but recent developments indicated that there'd be at least some changes. So to see some things unchanged from the March report, I don't know, John, that was a bit surprising, wasn't it? Yeah, the market was definitely looking for a decrease in the projected carryovers for this year because the March 1 stocks in all position, the numbers for both corn and beans were fairly sharply lower than expected, which suggests that there's some errors out there that had to be accounted for. So the USDA really kind of surprised the market when they came out with corn projected carryover and soybean projected carryover unchanged from the March report, which is a, a carryover on corn of $1.342 billion and soybeans at $210 million. Now, wheat, they did increase to $598 million. That was about a $24 million increase in March. No big deal, but a little bit bearish on wheat. So I can't figure out why they did not make any adjustments given those March 1 stocks numbers. Yeah. And, and Rob, what I'm hearing, in fact, it comes from our cohort David Coley, who was saying, well, he said, the reason why, John, he says, for the most part, he said, USDA is going to have their first new crop projections when they come out with the May S&D. They will update the old crop projection, but they also make their first new crop projection. And they just want to see how things go between now and then, and they will make the adjustments in the May S&D. What is your expectation? Because I've heard a lot of people talking about that here this past week. You know, we didn't see anything, but exactly what you were just saying, that the weather got so good this week that we started getting word late in the week, Thursday into Friday, that planters were already rolling in the fields of Iowa and even western Illinois. Yeah, how about that? In our market, we're still too wet. We've had some very nice warm weather helping to dry out the fields. We aren't seeing a whole lot of field work in our area, so therefore, that kind of caught me a little bit off guard. I did not realize that Iowa would be would be that busy this early. In fact, in southern Iowa, this week was the first week that the crops were eligible to be planted. Remember, those are dry areas, so they don't have the, the uh, wet soils we have. They're fairly dry there. It's yeah. been warm there, too, so boom, they're getting a lot of work done. But is that good or bad? Does that mean that the dry conditions will persist during the growing season? To your point, it's a little early to get all jazzed up about some early planting, particularly since they got a little bit of snow and still cooler temperatures in the upper plains and into Minnesota here this uh, probably, what, 
past 48 hours or so. But the warmer temperatures in the northern plains are going to start melting some of that heavy snowpack they got. And if that melts too quickly, we could see some flooding. Again, you know, there are a lot of anomalies that can occur between now and then. They can really change things. Let's turn over now to the South American crop production. That was part of this report. I think everybody expected to see that Argentine soybean crop drop. The March report, USDA came out and they were at, uh, what, 33 million tons, dropped it down to 27. And I think as you and I were talking, that's pretty remarkable drop for USDA. Usually they just kind of inch their way into whatever they think is going to happen in the future. Yeah, that's right. But you know, they're, they're way behind. Their last report was at 33 million and privates in Argentina are talking 23 to 25 million. So they had to make an adjustment. They obviously were way behind. But that was probably the most significant thing about the reports that came out last Tuesday was the Argentine crops. They dropped the beans by 6 million tons, and that's still a little too high, I think. Argentine corn was dropped by 3 million tons. They dropped it from 40 in their March estimate down to 37 million tons. Now, Brazil was pretty much stable. They increased Brazilian beans by a million to 154, and Brazilian corn was left unchanged at 125 million tons. So, And Brazil, by the way, is continuing to look real good. Their soybeans now have got to be approaching close to uh, 90% harvested. So far, there hasn't been any major problems with that. The Safrina corn crop still got a ways to go on that one. But uh, Brazil is going to have a banner year. Well, that corn crop was maybe a little bit surprising that they left that unchanged just because we heard so much about that crop getting in late and the potential for it to be pollinating during the dry season. But let's go back to soybeans because Nopa Crush has been kind of a big point of conversation. You had some interesting things to share with regard to the number of crushing plants that are either on the drawing board or actually in the midst of being built. Oh, isn't that something? You know, we talked about it once maybe a couple of months ago, but there are 19 crushing plants in the United States which are on the boards to either be built or in a couple of cases have already been built or they are being expanded to increase their crush capacity. That's 19 plants altogether. That that's over the next few years now that they're that they're going to be built or they're going to have the crush capacity increased. But the demand for soybeans will increase by 700 million bushels by mm. 2026. That's 31 percent more between now and the next three years from now. We got to find those soybeans somewhere because let's take a look at this year. Our projected carryover is only 210 million beans. That means we got a lot more soybeans that we're going to have to uh, start growing in order to meet that demand over the next few years. The soybean demand for crush is going to really increase substantially in the next few years. I find it a little bit mind-boggling. I've never seen an increase of that magnitude in such a relatively short period of time. You make a good point. Where are we going to find all the acres for that? But there's another thing that goes along with this. China's Ag Ministry issued a three-year action plan to cut soybean meal use in animal feed rations from 14.5% down to 13%. Doesn't sound like a lot, but the reduction in soybean imports would go along with that, and as much as 4 million tons would uh, kind of go away if they made that action plan come to fruition. Hold on there just a second. Hey, Rob, this isn't adding up. Exactly. You're sitting here telling me that on one hand, over the next three years, we're going to increase the demand for soybeans for a crush by 700 million bushels, 31% increase. At the same time, China's coming out and saying they're going to reduce their demand for importing soybean meal and soybeans. Right. 
Where's the meal going to go? That's what I'm asking. It's like, uh, hold it now. The math isn't working out here. But I think you made a really good point, and that is it's difficult sometimes to take for absolute gospel truth whatever's coming out of their mouth. One other thing that I didn't want to get to out of here before we have a chance for you to explain a little bit of math that you were doing this week when you were taking some of USDA's figures and some of the planted acreage and kind of put it all into your John Cavanaugh computer and you were coming up with some stuff that was like, why aren't most people talking about this? I was working some of the numbers, and, and frankly, uh, I'm being uh, optimistic, saying that we're going to have good weather. We're going to crops going to go in okay, and uh, we're going to have normal weather this summer, and therefore we're going to have yields at trend or maybe even slightly better. Now that remains to be seen. We've talked about how tight the carryovers are this year on corn and soybeans, and the market is reacting to that, and that's going to keep prices somewhat well supported until we know the size or have a good feel for the size of the new crops. However, if we do switch to an El Nino, if we do have normal weather throughout the Midwest this summer, look at these numbers. It kind of scares me a little bit, Rob. Remember, we've got three and a half million more corn acres being planted. And if we take those acres and we just put a 181 yield on those acres, which is uh, just a tad above trend, certainly a very workable type of a number for the yield, I increase demand a little bit for next year, which, you know, maybe I shouldn't even increase demand. But if I increase demand a little bit, Rob, that takes our carryover for the 20 23, 24 crop year to 2.7 billion bushels. Holy cow. Uh, Slightly bearish. Uh, uh, Quite bearish, correct. Soybeans. They do the same thing with soybeans, and I threw in a 53 yield. Maybe that's a tad optimistic, but certainly a realistic kind of a number that could happen with a good year. We could actually exceed these, these projections on yield. So I'm being somewhat conservative. And I kept soybean demand unchanged from this year, which somebody could argue against that either way, but I don't think it matters that much when you look at this carryover. You put a 53 yield on those bean acres, and holy cow, our carryover on soybeans next year goes to potentially as high as 429 million bushels. Hmm. Bottom line on this, folks, is is those numbers for the carryovers are quite bearish. We're just hypothesizing. We don't know what the weather's going to do. But the bottom line is be thinking about this. I think that the producers out there should take a good, hard look at their new crop and consider getting more sold. Uh, I really am in the camp of saying that maybe a half your projected new crop or, or maybe a third to a half should be sold when these when prices are still relatively high. Well, it yields, we're going to see a sharp drop off in price, and the old crop, maybe just get rid of that, get a price somewhere out there. I'm nervous about these numbers. Now, granted, I've assumed normal weather, which hasn't happened yet. But give this some thought. And by the way, David Coley, I ran this past him, and David said, yeah. He said, I certainly agree with everything you're saying. And he pointed out, be careful. You know, we got problems out in the Dakotas, and and the central part of the plains uh, are still fairly dry, et cetera. He said, but, you know, John, he said, the numbers you're putting out there are certainly workable. And he says, I'm actually more bearish than you are. Oh, we got to get him back on the radio with us. That's all there is to it. All right, we've come to the part of the program where it is time for the final word. Do you have any final word this week? Uh, We've talked about the weather, and I would just like to point out something that's kind of interesting, I think. This is the percentage of the crops grown in areas that today have drought conditions. Corn, 29%. Now, that's gone down from where it was over the past year. Right. Cotton, 46%. Soybeans, 20%. Uh, All those areas, that percentage that's being affected by drought is lower than it was a few weeks ago, a few months ago, and six months ago. So it's actually improving. But there's one part of the country where crops are grown that has not improved. Sorghum, 
90% of sorghum is grown in areas that are currently uh, in drought. And winter wheat, 48%. Add to that one more thing to think about, and I don't want to usurp your final word here. However, uh, they have come out this week and said El Nino, 60% chance now. It continues to grow. So that will definitely be one of those kinds of things where you say, okay, you know, we can run all these numbers. We can look off into the future. We can put all this into a computer and come up with a number. We still need to pay attention to what happens to the weather. and We don't know what that's going to be doing when we get around to pollination. Coley and Kavanaugh brought to you by the Allen County Farm Bureau. And like I said at the top of the program, I'm catching an airplane tomorrow headed off to D.C. with a lot of other farm broadcasters to talk about things like Biden's new waters of the U.S. rule. Absolutely critical for farming, as well as fighting for improvements in the farm bill. So we're going to be meeting with a lot of people at the Farm Bureau as well. And you know the efforts of the Farm Bureau in D.C., are supported by memberships all across the country. Help support the efforts of the Farm Bureau in D.C. to promote the best of the best for farm families all over the country. Support your local Farm Bureau with a membership. Go online to itpaystobeamember.org. Podcasts by Federated Media.